The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Let me tell you about who deserves a shot in the United States Heavyweight. I'm the champion. I ought to know. You know, I've, I've been sizing up guys since I came to WCW. And I think the one guy that stands out the most, the guy that I think has earned the title shot, El Dandy, I think you're a heck of a wrestler. You're a great technician in the ring, and you're a jam-up guy. Whoa. I don't see any Whoa. reason. Wait a minute. El Dandy has been wrestling in, in, in the cruiserweight division here. Please. He's a great wrestler. He's a great wrestler, but thank goodness sakes, he's 50 miles. Who are you to, to, to doubt El Dandy? Because this guy's a serious professional. Well, let's talk about some serious how about, how about Hello and welcome to this special collaboration. Uh, this is a forbidden door version of the WrestleCast. As we are teaming up with the Forever Young cast again and all of the ladies over there. Miss Jupiter Julep, she's here, y'all. We let her in the building. We're going to have a year in review for WWE, but we're going to do a series. So we're going to have AEW and NXT, and then we're also going to have just the business as a whole, and we hope to have one special podcast with all of our friends discussing anything they'd like that happened in 2023. So to fill in the gaps during the holiday months where wrestling is going to be a little slack and the podcast might not be as frequent, we're going to have these year in review podcasts. So buckle up and uh, let us take you on this ride. So I've got, like I said, Miss Jupiter Julep, when worlds collide, she's walked through the forbidden door. Welcome, man. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. I am here alone but I am representing Madame Lizette and Miss V always. Hello, ladies. She better Hello. watch yourself walking through the WrestleCast parking lot. It's dangerous. Ain't nobody scared who a punk. Well, thank you as always for joining us here. If you guys know the history, yes, there is a rivalry, but there's also rivalries come from love. The Forever Young cast is always a part of the WrestleCast lineage. They're always family, no matter how much we fight for us. Mo to the underscore Reese. He's joining us here. Broadcast or else cast host can do this big WWE year in review without him. Uh, he's had such an upturn in his fortunes of the Raw cast, especially. So we had to get him. And our tribal chief, this is here too. Miss Jade, how are you? Tell the folks about your accomplishments right off the break. Well, you know, tribal chief and I were taking some time off because we are <laughs> down on our back so we needed some time off to rest and recuperate but other than that I've just been you know racing and and now I'm back for one night only <laughs> catch it while you can folks because you won't be coming to those C and D regions if you've been listening to I don't uh, I don't I don't come to the dark uh the house shows <laughs> Yeah, the the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, the the smaller markets, they ain't going to get a chance to see the Tribal Chief at all coming up soon. So catch it while you can. Mr. Motel <laughs> underscore Reese, how are you, sir? I'm here, so I won't get fired. The biggest beneficiary of the WWE's 2023 has been you, sir. Has it, it been? Like, oh, if we was just doing the raw cast by themselves the way we used to, 
and we would hear the sorrow and sadness in your voice. Now that we do these WrestleCasts the last few months and Triple H's WWE, there's nothing but excitement and eagerness. I noticed the change. <laughs> so we'll get right into that right off the top. The biggest news in WWE was the sale to Endeavor as the two companies merged to form a new conglomerate in combat sports under the TKO banner. So the turbulent times of Vince McMahon over the last 18 months where he was out, then he was back in, and then the company was sold. So for the first time in, I think it's 50 years, uh, the WWE was not controlled by McMahon, and it's the end of an era in uh, a lot of ways. So, Miss Jupiter Julep, I'm going to start with you. Mm-hmm. Vince McMahon is kind of punished for his wrongdoings, but then not really, and found a loophole to get back in. Mm-hmm. He said he was there to accomplish the sale, and he got the sale accomplished. Mm-hmm. Was the fallout of what he did as far as like the strings he pulled to get back in the company to ultimately get this sale? Do you think that damages his legacy? Does it make you think, oh, well, he got a chance to see it through to the end? He promised to do what he was going to do? Oh. What's your overview of Vince's 2023 as far as his tactics and what he ultimately benefited from with those tactics? I think I'm going to go backwards. You asked what was his legacy or what is his legacy? Mm-hmm. And I think that his legacy is secure because we would not have had WWF nor WWE without his vision is the best way of putting it, I think. And everybody who helped him with that vision. I think that there is a conversation about WWE today and an interest today because everybody knows about Hulk Hogan. Everybody knows about Macho Man and Junkyard Dog and those characters of wrestling and being larger than life back in the day. And then defining the era of the attitude and you know, and then who emerged from that and their ability today and, and there are our nostalgia acts. And then even later with the PG era, because you have John Cena, who is everywhere. So you have The Rock, who has transcended WWE into everything and is a household name and same with John Cena. So I think his era in terms of business decisions and what he did in creating the company to be sold is secure. Him as a person, he is just like every other white man of his era who has a downfall, especially in the New York region, Trump, Giuliani, I'm sure the list goes on and on. When he first retired, and then there was rejoicing in Munchkinland, and then you saw Triple H and what he was able to do, and the business that he was able to create, and the goodwill and the reinterest in WWE. Now that uh, the bad side, the dark side of WWE, which was Vince McMahon and some of his um, traits, the racism, the all of the isms, kind of hopefully go out the door with him, then 
people wanted to come back. People generated some interest um, and not just viewers, but also wrestlers and potential wrestlers or, you know, from the Indies or whatever else. I think that they understood in terms of business decision in 2023 and going forward, that Vince McMahon isn't best for business. Does that impact his legacy? I don't think so. Because people have always whispered about him, but you know, a lot of people feel that you got to be dirty in order to have make the money and the decisions that he made in the first place. So I think that they had a proof or, or a pilot study, if you will, of what Triple H could do when Vince McMahon wasn't over his shoulder and they found that it was viable. So when Vince McMahon tried to tinker, they realized that they couldn't allow that to happen because things went down. Shares went down. Viewership went down. Mo lost his smile and he was going to take his ball and go home. <laughs> we couldn't have that. And then you put him back in timeout and then you really isolate him. And then now look at it. It's rebounded yet again. So I think that was a long-winded way of answering your question. Essentially what I'm saying is that he had to go but his legacy is still intact. Do we not still hear then, now, forever in the intro? That's what it's going to be. I'll go to Mo for this one. The creative shifts that I'll stick with Raw, because I think SmackDown seemed to be kind of like on an island by itself, and those guys could do a little bit more with that without having Vince being so heavy-handed. But for some reason, he was very heavy-handed with Raw. Do you think that maybe not only to the ratings and the interest of the shows being higher with Triple H there, do you think that the, oh, he's gone, and then all of a sudden the bigger man is back, do you think that maybe TKO sense the morale of the roster, especially some of the younger talent who don't have the long-term thing with Vince, which is what most of the roster is beginning to become, right? Their allegiance is more with Triple H, you know, with the way that the developmental system is working and people graduate. What do you think that might have played into their ultimate decision to say, hey, Vince, you got to go home after we get this thing done? If we just look back at, you know, certain pieces of the puzzle, how certain things just played out. Um, if we go back to 2022, we had, you know, Sasha Banks and Naomi walk out the company because of it, like the creative side of things was going on. And, you know, basically just how Vince was always setting his ways. And we listened to like Bruce Pritchard's podcast, um, Jim, Jim Ross podcast, Jim Cornette. They always just said Vince, you know, when he had the idea he wanted to go with something, it was really hard to change his mind. And he really wanted to tie things set going forward. So when the merger happened, you know, it was basically like they saw all of the things that was going on, might have heard the complaints, read things that this was said online and just say, you know, it's time for the change to happen. And so having Triple H be in charge of creative solely and from what I've read, Vince still has a say, but Ultimately, the decisions are left in Triple H's hands. This is what Ari um, Emmanuel thought that it was best for business. 
not to use um, Vince's own quote against him, but he's the best for business. And we're seeing how um, things have changed. You know, we have new stars coming up. I mean, like not new stars coming up, but just new talent on the roster who's getting a push, who's getting a fair chance. You're not being subjected to the same old um, prototypes getting, you know, those getting the time on TV and everything. You know, certain people just on the side, like who's on the sidelines, who's just like known for their for having great matches and everything. Now they're starting to get pushed to the to the spotlight. We're starting to see the, um, you know, people who have been considered too small. Um, like the Johnny Gargano's on the main roster and everything. We're seeing Bronson Reed back um, who, who, after he was released, he was, he went to um, New Japan. Now he's back. He's having, you know, good storylines and everything um, that's going on. Um, we're seeing um, how, I'll say another example, um, LA Knight. He came to the company, you know, we all knew him on the Indies, TNA, NWA as Eli Drake. He came into the company, um, LA Knight. He was there in NXT beforehand, but he got released and he went, you know, got himself together. He came back. So then we got caught up to the main roster. Vince wanted to go with this whole Max with male models and have, you know, him as Max Dupree. He advocated for himself to get out of that character and to go back to the LA Knight character. And now we're seeing with how he's on SmackDown, kind of like one of the hottest superstars on there. Some steam might have been taken off because Randy's back and everything. Um, and also Maxine, how she was with them, but then she transitioned over to Alpha Academy, and now she had matches with Rhea Ripley. She's you know teaming up with um, Ivy now, supposedly in the near future. So all that to say this, the creative side is different. Vince definitely, you know, like you say, we wouldn't have all of what we've had with WWE all these years without his thing, but, you know, it's a time for a change. It certainly was a time for a change. And now Triple H is hitting that. We're starting to see the the, um, the fruits of that labor going forward. Obviously, people won't be mad about decisions, about how creative is going. Yes, you can't please everybody when it comes to wrestling you know, or anything that matter. But with wrestling fans, you know everybody has their faves. They want to see their faves on top. And Triple H is definitely, you know, a man of the, of, you know, support backs as wrestlers and everything. And this is why we're seeing old faces coming back. Even we thought bridges were burned, we see they could be repaired. All right, Ms. Jason, I'm going to ask you this. Now we've got Vince McMahon officially on the sideline. We've got a new regime. They actually have a vision of merging wrestling fans and MMA fans. To them, they see them as maybe one in the same, or at least a fan base that could populate a major city two nights in a row for two standalone events, but basically together. Do you think that their vision of wrestling fans and MMA fans having that much crossover is a viable one? Or you think that they are maybe coming into this not really valuing that wrestling fans don't really mess with MMA and MMA don't really mess with wrestling? I think there's a small percentage of people who watch both. I'm in the small percentage, although I'm not like a 
hardcore UFC. If it's on, I'll watch it. And I know who like the major players are in UFC. So there is a small percentage of people who are fans of both. But I don't know how that would work when you have like MMA. They're really trying to hurt each other <laughs> with WWE. We're here to entertain. Mm-hmm. The injuries are real for sure, but they're not trying to hurt one another. Right. Um, so I don't know how they, I mean, are they planning on having like a UFC match during WrestleMania? That's the only way I could see it maybe working, but I don't think in the long term, the vision should be to have, you know, let's just say the lioness taking on the, the, um, Amanda Nunez taking on, you know, Charlotte Flair. <laughs> I don't think that would work. The way that I've read it is, you know, they could possibly maybe tinker for that or maybe use that as promotion, try to cross use the different characters for maybe some promotional type things. But what I've heard their vision is it's like, okay, we're going to set up in Vegas on a Friday. And on Saturday, we're going to do UFC. And on Sunday, we're going to do some big money in the bank or something. And we're going to draw all these people to the sphere for two nights back to back. One night is UFC. One night is WWE. And, you know, we're going to sell all these tickets and make all this money. Yeah, maybe if they're doing like you just said, like having events on like Money in the Bank on Saturday and maybe a UFC thing on Sunday or Monday, like in the same weekend in the same city. Mm -hmm. Sure. But I don't know about mixing it up in the ring with. I wouldn't stick Amanda Nunez. I don't know if she's retired on any woman in the WWE, except maybe Shayna. Shayna might be the only one that could possibly hold her own against Amanda Nunez. But um, I'll pose you this question, Mr. Pujula. What if, I'll let you answer the first thing about the wrestling fans, their value, and MMA, and if they're overvalued. But I'll add on to this. What if they could convince UFC fighters who are a little past their prime, you know, guys get hit in the head for real. There's only women get hit in the head for real. There's only a certain stuff like to that. But what if you can convince them that, hey, you can come wrestle and we can emulate that, but you not likelihood take as many severe injuries and maybe get an extra four or five years of being in the entertainment business. I think that's interesting. I did get that survey Um, from WWE asking about that and what that interest would be. I think part of the problem is that people feel that WWE is, I almost said the F word, uh, (laughs) not real, and that UFC is. Mm -hmm. So although you have had some crossover like Brock Lesnar, Mm -hmm. um, I think Jake Hager did a match or two. You've had some people do Bobby Lashley. Yes. Um, the issue is, and of course, Shayna, not, yeah, Shayna, but also, oh, uh, Lord, I done erased her. Oh, uh, Rhonda. Yeah, that's her name. <laughs> we're all, we're all trying to forget. <laughs> I, did, I was like, what's that poor baby's name? So, Rhonda, but the issue, I think, is the fact that if you blur the lines, then nobody is going to change their mind about wrestling, but they will change their mind about UFC. And I think that that might do damage to their brand a little bit because I think that there is a superiority. Like, you all watch that thing that's not real, but UFC is a real thing. So I think that that could be a a problem. But if you lay it out like you did, Mm 
where it's like you can watch one Paul brother on one day and then another Paul brother on the other day and you can see them train together and maybe some joint uh programming that way I, I hate I hesitate to say sure but I think that that's something that could probably only be done twice a year not the norm but maybe if you build up to something and then you know have some of the people in the corner so it's almost like we have Nikki um, who's just dejectedly in the background right Mm-hmm. So maybe she wanders off into UFC and then trains with them. And then those people that train her, they got her back. You know, it's kind of like the Alpha Academy, really. And <laughs> then they walk her to the ring. Sure. But it has to be very limited. I also want to talk about like CM Punk because he went pro wrestling to UFC. We see how that turned out, right? Mm-hmm. And he went right back to pro wrestling. And if you give people, like you said, the ability to lengthen their careers by transitioning, how soon would people decide, hey, this is actually better for me in the long run and would maybe leave in their prime instead of at the twilight of their UFC career? Um, that would definitely be a, a business decision because I'm sure if Daniel Cormier had that option, he would be wrestling in the WWE right now. He wouldn't be commentating UFC, at least not at this point. Maybe he would have probably just started because his goal was to be a wrestler. But his, you know, for whatever reason, through who he knew or whatever, his path drew him to UFC. But he still had the dream of being a pro wrestler. So if they could, if he had the opportunity to say, hey, you know, you're kind of, he gets to a crossroads in his own career and it's like, well, let's try to do the pro wrestling thing for real. Let's, since it's ours, we can just merge on over here. I think that, yeah, a lot of people would consider it because I think deep down inside, a lot of those MMA guys are just wrestlers in their personality and their promos and stuff. It's just that they just get to hit and beat people up for real. But if you listen to them talk and the way that the matches are built and the storylines that they try to create within them to gain your interest, it's pro wrestling, just like everything is pro wrestling. Reality TV is pro wrestling. Politics is pro wrestling. You know, everything has elements of wrestling in it. And I just think that wrestling is the only thing that like got away from it. <laughs> they tried to be like everything else and didn't realize that, no, you guys are the roots of every, everybody's trying to copy you. Moving on from Vince McMahon and uh, maybe some prospective futures for the business of TKO. So wait, so you mean something? This wasn't the TKO that Taylor Pendergrass talked about back in the day? Uh, no, no, no. That <laughs> no. was a love TKO. <laughs> maybe for uh, maybe for the original uh, accusations for Vince when he found out he was putting that where he, that money was going. That was <laughs> but uh, we've got. The New Day, The New Dawn, which is Triple H's WWE. Him and Nick Khan are in concert with Rahm Emanuel giving them the full blessing to say, hey, y'all do what y'all got to do. Y'all sign who y'all need to sign. Y'all basically run this wrestling side of this business. Wait, wait, what was that name again you said? Rahm Emanuel? That's not his name? 
is Ari Manuel. Uh, oh, Ari, Ari, Ari. Rahm Emanuel used to work with Obama, right? Yeah. Sorry, and sorry, and sorry. former mayor of Chicago. Yeah, excuse me. Rahm my former mayor. No, he hasn't gone into the rest of the business, even though the Obamas have gone into the movie making business, but that's a different subject. For well, everything is pro wrestling. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, Triple H is here. I know Miss Jupiter Julep and Mo kind of touched on it, but Miss Jade, I'll let you start off. The direction that Triple H has taken WWE in in the last, let's say, six months since we kind of known that he is piloting the ship. Where have you seen WWE's influence maybe outside of our normal wrestling sphere? You know, we're in the wrestling bubble all the time. So, you know, we see wrestling even when we try not to see it. But maybe since, you know, you have a lot of your friends and relatives who follow but aren't entrenched, have they had more interest, more peaks and valleys, you know, with the Jay Cargill's thing and the way that they rolled her out, CM Punk coming back, Randy coming back? Is it more topical among casual fans now in your circle? Well, I was actually just thinking about this the other day. Triple H has made me excited about wrestling again. Because, I mean, obviously there's going to be some stuff that you do again and again because it works um but he's made it exciting again he's given people the spotlight that normally wouldn't get the spotlight under the vince mcmahon era it's fresh again so i'm really excited about wrestling again because i was falling off the wagon there with you know same old same old you know triple h has made it so exciting and enjoyable again that like you were saying like my family comes over to watch it i'm like hey we're going to watch Survivor Series today. You know, make sure you get over here and they'll come over and watch. Um, Jay Cargill is all over the place. People who weren't even watching wrestling were like, who, who is this? And I would say that that kind of started with Triple H's right. That started with the Sasha Banks and the Becky Lynch and the Charlotte Flair. I even have people message me all the time like, man, I haven't watched wrestling in years, but you know, I'm starting to watch it again, you know, like you said, casually, because it's different. It's not the same old say we not want and no shade to Undertaker, but I could not do another Undertaker at WrestleMania match. Like, mm-hmm. let that man rest in peace. <laughs> let him well, do he's his... like an ambassador now. So to speak. Yeah, he does his uh, dead man shows, his one man shows, which I, I think what she's about. saying is that they were leaning on that. So as oh a yeah, they definitely was leaning on that heavily. That was that was events, and that was like kind of like the, when they're going through the Saudi shows. So it's kind of like they had to convince them, like, hey, we have other people over here who can do just as matches that they right. can. You don't have to push uh, Shawn Michaels out of retirement to do a match. No, he depends so much on the old that you can't even give the new a chance. Prime example, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa are arguably two of the best wrestlers in the industry. But because Vince wasn't, when they came up from NXT, Vince didn't give them really a push. And so now, I mean, now they're getting a push, but like they would come out and the fans are just like, hmm, who are these people? Because obviously most Monday Night Raw people aren't watching NXT. And I think Triple H and Shawn Michaels are doing a good job of trying to mix it up so that the NXT wrestlers are starting to become household names, too. But Vince McMahon didn't see the value in Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa. He's like, I'd rather have the Goldberg. and the These dudes are 60 years old. They do not need to be in the ring. They don't need any more shine. And they definitely don't be need they like the Johnny Garganos and the and the Tommaso Ciampas don't need to be jobbing to Goldberg. They've had their time. If anything, they need to be putting other wrestlers 
over. So, do you want to know people's memories of Johnny Gargano was when he was an elf in a segment? I think he was an elf in a segment on Raw, maybe SmackDown years ago. No, it was it was definitely Raw, and I think Tommaso Ciampa was a lawyer. That was he definitely had he definitely was like going bald, but he was a lawyer on SmackDown in a um a angle years ago. So that's what some people because some people would be bringing up those angles back up too. And I'm like, yeah, they're bringing more than that now, so get over it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mo, in the progression of Triple H's WWE, we've seen a bigger focus on women's wrestlers smaller wrestlers and wrestlers of color. We've always heard, you know, during his time as a wrestler, the book on Triple H was, I don't know about this dude when it comes to his relationships with black people and women. But through his booking and his vision of wrestling, I think the tide is starting to turn on that. Just speak to that and uh, is it, you know, something that we can believe in? Is it by half a stats? What do you think changed with Triple H to where that this is a bigger focus for him now? Oh, goodness grief. Because you said you said his relationship with people of color, and I'm thinking about that um, Booker T match at WrestleMania and how that promo was borderline racist, and Bruce Pritchard to this day will say it wasn't racist, it was just him just whatever. But um. We're all starting to see more like, you know, black wrestlers getting shine. You know, you had Bobby Lashley with the Street Profits on SmackDown, you know, and how that's, you know, breathing new life into that character, so to speak. Um, you know, we had Sasha Banks. Sasha, and Sasha Banks was definitely a Triple H girl. And she definitely was just like, you know, when she was in NXT and just how her NXT, you know, run and went how she, you know, you had, you had to build certain people. You had to build them up. You can't just put them out there and just saying like, you know, like, here you go. It's kind of like people keep complaining about, well, we haven't seen Jay Cargill wrestle yet. And it's like, well, she's an investment. She's a multi-million dollar investment. And of course, and it's like, as soon as he says she's, you know, she wasn't ready, no fault to her own. We've seen what happened when she put with AEW and how they just put it out there and how people just say she wasn't ready and everything. So Triple H doesn't want that same thing to be repeating. So he wants to make sure that she's ready at the point that where she can go out there and dominate. That's just hence why we just kept seeing her on all the shows and at the paper and at the PLEs and everything. So I would say the relationship with black wrestlers has definitely improved. Um and also I'll say other like, you know, minorities, like you see what Judgment Day is doing, how um Damien Priest is definitely you know, one of the focal points of that storyline, him and Dharma Stereo too. And if you want to say women, Rhea Ripley, she's from Australia and she's definitely been like promoting the whole I'm um, going back home for the Elimination Chamber paper on PLE. So, you know, granted, if you just if you just told us back in the day that Triple H would be this champion of wrestlers going forward and then we just know how he was back then when he had he was in you know, Vince's in a circle, so to speak. We were like, probably like, wouldn't have believed it. But, you know, as they said, people can change. As he said about seeing Punk, if you still are the same person that you were from 10 years ago, have you really changed? You haven't really changed at all. Then he's like, you're just stuck in that same old rut. So I guess for him, 
and to be the way he is in the company, he had to get rid of had to get rid of some of his old biases and start looking at the, at the talent for what they are and everything. Hence why we're seeing, you know, Carmelo Hayes in that um, U.S. title tournament, um, and we're starting to see smaller wrestlers getting more pushes on you know on Raw. Look at um, Chad Gable, right? Chad Gable, for instance, you know we've seen the ebbs and flows with him. He was in NXT with him and um, Jason Jordan, and he was doing a Ready Willing and Gable whole little gimmick. And then he came up, Vince labeled him Shorty G. It was just, you know, downgrading his wrestling because just because he didn't have that that fit that mold that Vince wanted. And once Vince got gone, Chad Gable was definitely being talked about as being one of the focal points of Monday Night Raw. As he should, because he's great at what he does. He may, yeah, he doesn't have the size and everything, but he's great in the ring. He has eyes on the product. People love to work with him. You see how they have the um, the Creed brothers working with them. You have, you know, um, New Day doing stuff with them in the background. Akira Tozawa is getting more TV time, and you no, know, not just being delegated to just main event or just squash matches, so, so to speak. So it's a work in progress, but we've seen a lot of things just. You know, come from that. That's that's beneficial, and you know, he has a lot more talent down there. Um, it's a lot more talent growing down there in NXT. I know y'all going to talk about that, but you know, we see Last Legend. Last Legend definitely she they they're high on her too. So once she gets, you know, he gets ready, comes to that main roster, she's going to make an impact um, in the ring. And Last Legend know. and Jay Cargill, the women's tag team root warriors. See, I can I see need. them as tag team champions in the future. I'm I here see for that it. too. And you know, you know how 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 much that would bring black girls into wrestling for for. I mean, we already got Bianca, you know, Sasha Bianca, and everything and things like that. But seeing Jade and Lash Legend together, yeah, they would be calling them like they say, like they call them mothers and everything else, and they would definitely bring that aspect to wrestling that. We see when it comes to like music and things like that, you know, the stand accounts be going crazy. <laughs> Jupiter Jules, I'm going to bring you in uh, on this topic of Triple H's WWE. Mm-hmm. It looks like that they have really taken a concentrated effort to make sure that the stories that they are building have the time to build and the path they do not deter from the path of the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, through this time with Triple H, even people like Mo saying the Chad Gables, the um, Cedric Alexanders, the kind of peripheral people still have some legitimate story that they're trying to portray each and every week. What would be some of the pitfalls that you would warn Triple H about as he goes forward with this because they have a lot of momentum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of stories that they can tell. Mm -hmm. But with that also comes a lot of things that you could mess up as well. So with this great fortune right now, what would you kind of warn him against for 2024? I think that he had the opportunity in NXT with black and gold to see what worked without 
having that um i think vince suffered from founderitis like the book starts with me and i know everything mm-hmm. and one of the things that i hear triple h saying in the press conferences and other places is that he has a team mm-hmm. so i think that what i would continue to do is be collaborative and have diverse people around you because bruce pritchard wouldn't know what's racist if it bit him on the ass because he is racist. So you can't listen to somebody like him. You have to have younger, fresher, diverse voices to understand that Kofi Mania was a thing and should have continued on. Not a one night, let everybody go home happy gimmick, but something that should have been invested in. And I think that when he wasn't, in that position where he is now, he could kind of say, oh man, this is what I would have done. Being collaborative, listening to people, taking your time. I do want to bring up this thing about Jade. Jade's presentation was that of a star and then she kind of disappeared and people love to assume that's because she can't wrestle and they just didn't know. No, we learned that her mother passed and that her mother was ill. So she kind of disappeared probably because she needed that time to spend with her parents. And I, and that would be another thing that I would say, like taking that time in the breath for things to emerge. I also think being open to people who would I, I did think that CM Punk was coming back because whoever thought that Bret Hart would have come back. Vince McMahon wasn't going to leave money on the table. I think the difference is that the environment is so different where it is collaborative and you do take different people's opinions into account and it is more like a family where people do want to be there and do want to support each other and give their all. You don't want to squash that in any way. And also you don't want to be like AEW where you're booking great matches but they don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. I would uh, avoid that as people want to come in and you want to do those dream matches that you build to those dream matches so that they make sense. You can finish the story later, make the story make sense. Right. So, right. so that's that's what I would say. So maybe the, I would say, the kind of first crack in the armor that led to this year in WWE to sell Vince being moved out officially and Triple H taking over and everything the regime changed started with the kerfuffle over the WWE women's tag team titles when Sasha and Naomi were the champions and they decided to speak up against what we all saw each and every week why are these tag team champions never wrestling together as a tag team and always losing as singles. Mm-hmm. Week after week after week. And the consolation is, oh, well, you win the pay-per-view matches. Well, who gives a damn about that? People don't really invest in that week to week as they do Raw, you know what I'm saying, to build up to it. So I'm going to transition into what can be done to help this women's tag team title picture. WWE has a very strong women's division. Triple H, through his NXT days, is a champion for women's wrestling. 
but it seems like this has been a bugaboo since these titles have been created and brought to the main roster. So, Ms. Jade and Max, we'll start with you. What would be some of your suggestions to help the women's tag team titles become a bigger part of this next coming up year? Well, first of all, we have to get them off Chelsea and Green and Piper Nivens. I'm sorry, but they've done nothing for it. First of all, Piper Nivens didn't even earn <laughs> title as women's tag team champion. That had Vince written all over it. But in any case, we got to get it off of them. And we need to put together some legitimate well, I don't even I don't even want to say put together, bring in people that are like true tag teams, like Casey Cadero and Kate Carter came in as a true tag team. Right. Um I know Isla Dawn and I don't know what her other name is now, but Kaylee Ray. They weren't a tag team when they first came into the NXT, but they are now and they gel really well together. Um, I think the focus should be on developing true tag teams versus just throwing singles uh, competitors into a random tag team just for the sake of it, like with Natalia and Tia Knox. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, if if the goal is to keep them together long term, then fine. But it seems like they just throw Natty into a tag team to train the other wrestler, get her over. That's great. But at least, you know, let them be together for a while so they can gel. Um, But I think that they need to build out the women's tag team division with true tag teams, not just, oh, you know, we're just going to throw Sonya Deville together with Chelsea Green. That makes no sense. They have no history together. Um, So I think that's where you start. Okay. Miss Jupiter Juice, I'll counter that suggestion with this. What if, okay, they say, hey, we got this other selection of people and we kind of need to just throw them together and have them become tag teams. Mm-hmm. Do you think that they don't value that maybe if you create a story behind why they're tagging together, that maybe the building of the relationship would rise all tides. You get what I'm saying? Like people are invested in these two people coming together, however mm-hmm. means they may come together. And now that they are together, that may spark a new interest to help the division as a whole. Do you think that that is something that they maybe should approach? DIY. Isn't that what happened with them? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that's where I was going in terms of my suggestion. First of all, they got to apologize to Trinity and Mercedes publicly. They disrespected them publicly. They got to apologize publicly. Ain't no tag team, nothing until that happens. Okay. Secondly, once that apology, a sincere apology is made, then I would say that a tournament would be helpful because we do see, as you call them, little team sunshine, the KCs, and they are a well-oiled unit. And I do think that we need to give them something to do. Mm-hmm. We haven't had a Mayon Classic in a while. And and I would do something kind of like the... Um, <laughs> taking a page out of New Japan and AEW's book, where you have the tournament and it's based on point system. So you can get people in the rotations out, get used to seeing people like you said if you have that type of a um, tournament that's coming you have your established task teams but then you can also put two people together because they're saying like hey your Ivy Nile and your Maxine Dupree if 
you wanted them to say like, hey, yeah, let's do this. And then you can also have their guys help train them or whatever, but then also bring in NXT, but then also maybe some of the others who haven't necessarily been on NXT, Mm -hmm. but you know, you want to like test them out a little bit. You can introduce people. I think that that would be a good vehicle to do that. And then some of the stragglers out there, like Tegan Knox, who has to be protected because my God, if you blow on her hard enough, is she going to have another knee surgery? <laughs> and that's the reason why you have to have her in the ring with someone like a natty, mm-hmm. you know? So, and live well, I, I mean, I don't, well, possessions be damned. Uh, I, I don't know why she has been off a of TV, but also it, I think that. She was injured, is, wasn't she? Is she? Yes, I think she got injured again. Oh, well, what they did with her was very smart by saying she can't be in the ring, but she can be an ambassador in other places. And I do think that they should continue to do that. It's always more impactful if you do have a belt or if you have a cup or something that says, this is why you should talk to these people, you know, or... Um, say this is a tournament that's going on in terms of advertising. Yeah, I think you could do that. I mean, I think that you could probably run a good video package in UFC. We were talking about how that could possibly tie over just packages and commercials on the product just to say, hey, you know, this thing exists. But yeah, I'll end it there. I was thinking that tournament would be fine. And like you said, if you did need to put two people together and then honestly, what is the storyline? Uh, you mentioned Isla Dawn and who was the other witch that cursed the tag team oh. titles. Right. Oh. Uh, you you got to yeah. break the curse. Which they float it out there, but they've never gone back to. They've never what? gone back to it. So maybe that's something they hold it in their pocket. Yeah. But I think that that's what they have to do. Okay. Mo, I'm going to let you weigh in on the women's tag team titles and the women's tag team division as a whole. Do you think maybe that sometimes where these matches are placed do these women a disservice. Sometimes maybe if you put a Casey in in um, in that first match after the long promo, right? Whatever promo is going to set up your main event, you come back from that next match. If you don't set that match up to start right now, and we're just going to have that be our main event later in the match. Maybe those two would be fitted better at the beginning of the show instead of in hour three when everybody's kind of trying to get to the main event part that they're holding on to see. Do you think that sometimes maybe the placement hurts more than that they're given that, you know, kind of uh, not a lot of value in where they're placing the women's tag team matches? Um. Yeah, it's always definitely placement on these shows that kind of like either hampers or um, in the long run. Yeah, so basically I would just say what put them in a match where you're coming off hot, you know, that could benefit them because they're still getting that, the strength of the crowd that's warmed up and they're ready to see some action. You put the women on first, you know, have a, a nice, solid tag team match and then you know, you could keep them going. I remember it was something that you were saying about, I think it was like probably like two weeks ago, you would say like, you was telling like Casey 
I'm taking call like don't worry about the crowds, you know, they'll catch on. Because they out there busting their behinds and the crowd is just like muting everything. So you gotta you gotta know where the placement to put them at and just have them, you know, walk in still and kinda, of, you know, pulling a good show. Um it's all it's like it's always like it's like in each town that we go to is always hitting and so one town you may have a good reaction to it, another town that might be like, eh, we don't care, we want to the concession stand, something like that. So you just have to know your city and just have the storyline to be strong enough to keep their, you know, interest peak. Right. So we'll go and tackle our last subject. And we'll talk about the business side of the new WWE and TKO. As we've seen a new global strategy that they are really trying to put the world in this thing. As we're seeing events now more outside of the uh, United States by WWE, we've had the Saudi investment that's been taking place for over five years now. We're getting, uh, like you said, Elimination Chamber in Australia. We're getting uh, shows in Germany. Um, They're talking about, you know, sending WrestleMania to England. Um, They're openly saying, hey, these big events, Survivor Series and and all these other Royal Rumbles and stuff, they are for sale. If you want to pay, we'll come to France. They're going to France to do a big show. So they have a new strategy, which is really going to take, in their estimation, their live events globe. What type of pressure is that going to start putting on these United States cities who've always kind of been like, oh, we're just competing with each other for WrestleMania, Nashville versus Philly versus wherever for WrestleMania. That's one thing. But now when you got to put up a city against a whole country, there's no competition in that. So I'll start with Miss Jupiter Julie on this business side of this new global PLE strategy, this worldwide investment. Where does that leave live entertainment here in the United States? I don't know, but I'll say this. It's really going to depend on what those crowds sound like and look like. Puerto Rico did the damn thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. that was another one that was a real big success this year. Right. And but if you have someone like I don't know about the French crowd if the crowds don't get into it and if they're really not excited I don't know what that would do to the television experience because we all comment when the crowds are Mm boo-boo for you know Raw or Smackdown or pay-per-views so I would say depending on what it is people will travel if they can afford to do so and we look at the way that the world is today Um, If travel is safe and it's affordable, people will do that. I think that we saw that when people went to Europe for the Renaissance and then everybody that I know or follow on social media that went to the Renaissance in Europe was like, I should have stayed in the States. But they (laughs) but they went to because we were more hype. And that's kind of my point. Right. Right. The what we the American feel with this American artist and the mute challenge and everything else, it made for a better experience. If the global audiences can give a better feel, then it would be interesting. Also, you got to deal with the time difference because who's Mm going to stay up at two o'clock in the morning 
on the United States, where is their bread and butter going to be? If you are going to be doing the Raw and SmackDown and NXT rotation in America, but then do the pay-per-views overseas and it's at a time that isn't great. And then, you know, if you're really invested in watching the television shows weekly, then you're obviously following different accounts and things like that, where it'll be very hard to avoid spoilers. I think it'll start turning people off because if I, I don't want to wake up at two o'clock in the morning and then, you know, but as, as soon as I pick up my phone, I'm seeing spoilers because ESPN is telling me so-and-so won. I'm like, well, why am I watching it then? Mm-hmm. I already know what happens. I think that that can impact negatively. Okay. Okay. Mo, we've seen the big investment in Saudi Arabia over the last few years. We've, you know, labeled it hashtag blood money cast. But what started out as maybe a way to rehab Saudi Arabia's image has now turned into like a full partnership. With WWE, uh, apparently that uh, big fight that they had over there last month, Vince McMahon played a big deal in getting that boxing match over there and 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 working the deal with the Saudis to have all those guys, legendary guys, and people come over there and support that fight. So, as we get deeper and deeper into this Saudi investment, and everybody in sports is very much afraid of the Saudis because they are. Sp- what they call sports washing, meaning they're creating their own leagues and they don't have any restrictions on money and they're just going to pay the best players to leave their professional ranks and come over to do their thing. Like what they do with the PGA. Right. Where does WWE getting so deeply involved with them and their overall intentions where do you see the benefit in the public opinion for WWE? I don't think that people really understand how deeply involved WWE and the Saudis are right now. What is the gain for WWE long-term? Worldwide domination. Um, Hence, this is the reason why you are seeing, like they put over there, I think they have like a, um, they were showing this door. Um, Crown Jewel. I think they have some kind of. I don't know if it's some kind of just. I, mean, I don't know. I won't say museum. Yeah, it's like a physical building that they're going to yeah. build or have built. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, saw, they, yeah. They, they're putting that over there. So they've. I guess they're, they're attracting, trying to you know, attracting more you know fans you know in that mark in that in that area and everything. The reason why they see the success in their eyes with you know the Saudi Arabia shows and everything, and that's just primary reason why you're seeing more international shows starting to pop up with these paper, with these PLEs. And I understand what you what Judah was saying, but this is why, you know, we're getting those shows like in the week afternoons and things like that, because if they over there at like eight o'clock their time is like probably two, three or twelve something like in the afternoon for us. And they probably figured, you know, if you want to watch, it's be available on Peacock for your viewing pleasure. But they see it, and it's like a lot of these places, they go on the European tours like after like WrestleMania or something like that. They do like twice a year. So the Saudis, it's basically just the, the launching point. They're basically saying, hey, 
they're making money with the Saudi. Here's this company from the United States making money with the Saudis, and other places are saying, "Hey, let's get our hands in the cookie jar too." Which is the reason why you're seeing the Australia show, the um, one that's going to be in France and the one that's going to be in Germany in the summer. They're definitely going for worldwide domination, like global domination, so to speak. You know, which is why they was talking about the whole NXT Japan and NXT Mexico, and now they talking about making the NXT Europe. So I guess what they what they're going to do is they're you know building that equity in those in those places, so that when the time comes to execute their plan, they can just say, well, this is where we went for this one, and this is how the money that we made. This is what we can do. It's it's all part of that plan. They probably have like I ain't gonna say I want to say twelve step plan, but they have like it's levels to this. And it, once they get to certain levels, they say, okay, we can put this next plan in action. Right. This is Jason Matz, I'm going to pose you this. And there's got to be an economic value to this. So if they're going to say, hey, we have an allotment of four shows a year, whatever we can create, four new shows, or we could take two established shows and two new shows across seas the economic return would be that if we held this event with no people, guess what? We brought all our stuff over here. We brought all our wrestlers over here. We're getting paid regardless. So no people could show up or the thing could be filled to the rim. The bottom line is we're going to make our money. Is the long-term vision of just creating that money and always being able to just say, hey, we can just take it wherever we want and flaunt it out and, and always try to get the highest bidder domestically and to other places as well who want to go see things. How do you think that that would make the public feel like, well, shit, all they're trying to do is put in the place that's the most expensive. So it's going to take me the most expensive to go there, the most expensive to stay there and probably be the most expensive to go to the event as well. Is their strategy, which guarantees them a lot of money, they will always make money. They will never fail at making money this way. But is it going to price out your domestic viewership and maybe some of your international viewership as well? from your life of it. Of course, because here's the thing. Majority of Americans don't even have a passport. A lot of them never even left the country. And it's it's kind of like a, a pay to play. It's just mm-hmm. business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you can afford it, people who can afford to do can, and people who can't don't. Really that simple. And it sucks because I think your average viewer probably can't afford to fly all the way to Australia for... I forget what event it is. Is it Elimination Chamber? Right. Um, your average U.S. viewer. Like, we're in a time right now where the where people are losing their jobs. People are just trying to keep their head above water. So when it comes to, you know, can I afford to spend the extra on flying all the way to Australia to see Elimination Chamber or am I just going to buy groceries? Like, people are really in that mindset right now with the way the economy is. Um, and the thing is also... Like in Europe, you're going to draw a crowd because it's easy to move around Europe. You don't need to get on a plane to move around Europe. You can take a train for 40 bucks to go from, you know, if they hadn't been in Italy and it's in the, the people are coming from France. In the U.S., you don't really have that option. You got to fly everywhere. Flights are expensive. So just moving around the U.S. is expensive for a lot of people to go to events. You have to pay for the ticket to the show. 
You have to pay. You got to find somewhere to stay. You're spending money on food. You're spending money on transportation. So, yes, it is going to ice out a lot of their average consumer who's not paying the $700 for the floor seats in the VIP. But it's also a pay to play strategy. Like you said, they're always going to make money regardless whether there's people in the seats or not. I have a question about that. To be clear, in order for WWE to come to your city for a larger event, not like your SmackDowns and your Raw tapings, there is a bidding that takes place almost like the Olympics. Mm-hmm. It's like the Super Bowl. Yeah. Okay. And then, so there, where does the guaranteed income come in? Okay. That's a um, Philadelphia is going to have WrestleMania this year. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia whatever the bid was they submitted let's say it's 200 million Mm -hmm. so they say they've looked at it throughout their whatever things that they have for their tourism and that throughout wwe's probably giving them information about wrestlemania two nights since it's been in the two-night era what that 200 200 million dollar investment could be in you know revenue for because you gotta think entertainment and hotels and all that stuff has extra high tax on it Mm -hmm. so you make a lot of tax revenue off of those people coming in for two nights. They got to have somewhere to stay. They got to buy those overpriced drinks. They got to buy that overpriced parking. You know what I'm saying? So they say, hey, you may pay 200 million and that's a lot. Yes, at one time for your city or your state to get this in a year. But when you make that 650, when it's 650 million that's generated and you get 400, because you already paid us and, and you know what I'm saying we'll get whatever the gate is some of the gate but most of our money's already made we already made the 250 we don't care about the rest of it because we can afford to give you 60% of the actual deal because you already paid us 200 million I, I see now okay and look at it this way other cities in their surrounding in their surrounding you know, demographic is going to benefit too. Right. You won't have you won't have your Baltimore's and your DCs traveling on by train to go up there. You won't have your New Yorks, your Jerseys, your Connecticut's, that whole tri-state area coming down to see. You won't have your um, people from Pittsburgh and Ohio coming through. You won't have they gonna get that money hand over foot with um, the WrestleMania being in Philly because of just the location of Philly, and right. it's like you have easy access from other areas to get there. Right. And not not only that, so I understand the geography of it, and then you also have events like Wally Mania, which is going to draw people. Right. And it, so I I get that part. I was just wondering where was the guaranteed income from. Uh, so I, I I hear you now, but because one of my concerns was that okay, you need people to show up for your television tapings, which is your Raw and your SmackDown. We mm-hmm. do know how it impacts your the, the viewership and the feel of your product when you do not have a large crowd and or the crowd is not engaged. Mm-hmm. I hate to bring them up, but we can take a look at AEW right now. And so they have great wrestling, the stories, you know, eh. but the whole point is you the crowds are dwindling a little. I mean, it's not the same as a packed arena with all of that energy that's generated and that you can feel through the screen and how that elevates the product. Mm -hmm. So 
if you price people out of the bigger events. So I was concerned that that everything would be priced out to the point where, I mean, wrestling tickets, one of the reasons why they built that fan base is because they were coming to, as you call them, the C&D areas. And you could get a ticket for $20. So if you didn't have a lot of money, that was at live entertainment, which builds that loyalty. And you would get a T-shirt and you would wear a T-shirt and you would create community. And that was the thing that you do. And then also watch because, again, I may not be able to afford the um, $450 to go see Beyonce, but I can pay Two fifty to go to, or a hundred dollars, or whatever it is, even if in nosebleeds, to see wrestling and to be in the crowd and get that experience. So, I think that as long as they have both streams, like they cannot ignore their base of smaller investments in lieu of the bigger prize. Because that's what they were built on, the, the, the smaller investments, like I'm those gonna, people buying the tickets. Yes. We, I'm going to tell you, they, the TKO, mm-hmm. the TKO side. Now, T, this was a guy speaking from the TKO side of things, not necessarily the wrestling people, but he was looking at it saying, hey, these, we'll call them as he labeled them C and D regions of the country, the more rural, less populated areas of the country are in fact bad for our overall business. And so what we see in the future is doing less to no events in those areas and sticking to our A and B regions, which are the metropolitan areas and the high concentrations to like colleges and uh, big suburban centers, right? So already what you're talking about, as far as like, hey, the people who can't go to Monday Night Raw necessarily when it comes to the big city, but they can go to the, you know, $7,000 building, like you said, pay the $25 and go see Mm -hmm. the you know, live show, the house show, once, twice a year, you know, when it comes to. And TKO already doesn't see any value in that. Why don't you just write the check to AEW then? Mm -hmm. But AEW has the opposite problem. They're going around and they only got four or 5,000 people and they're trying to go to the big metropolitan cities with the biggest buildings they can get instead of like, okay, look, let's maybe take it to the smaller place that can fill the building up. And like you said, give us the wide shot of a filled up building with these people going nuts and these wrestling matches being off the chain and everything working in concert. I think that they might change their strategy if TKO was going to leave the money on the table. Then why wouldn't AEW pick it up? By saying, oh, okay, we can go to that smaller city, whatever, like you said, that area, pack it out because those people can't go to the thing that they're used to, but they love wrestling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that this, um, like, this may be one of the things where, like, the product of wrestling is really strong mm-hmm. every week on the television in 2024. But maybe the business of wrestling may be at its like shakiest because now you don't have dedicated wrestling people making the business decisions. They're just making the wrestling decisions. You know what I'm saying? 
So the wrestling side is in good hands because the wrestling people are controlling the wrestling. But when it comes to the business of wrestling, who from the wrestling business is helping with that? And I don't think they have anybody in that role in the higher ups of TKO right now. So, you know, to them, they're like, hey, why would UFC go to Podunk, Arkansas when you go to New Orleans? Just makes sense, right? But wrestling, like you said, Mr. Vizier, doesn't work that way. Podunk, Arkansas, will pack out a wrestling event. That is not knowing the the business of wrestling and the history of wrestling and the carnival roots of it. Right. Like I said, I don't think that they have any astute wrestling business people in their upper levels of their decision making. Mm-hmm. Because really the only one would have been Vince and they basically told him, like, go home, bro. We'll 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 call you when we need you. Yeah, but don't look for the phone to ring too often. This is the time for the call to ring. I think it'll come down to does it really impact their bottom line? And I think it'll when you'll see it is in the television. Mm-hmm. is with viewership because the product could be good but if it's something that I can't really enjoy to the same extent I might fall away Right. comic books have the same problem soap operas have the same problem the one thing that they all have in common is that they're a long form storytelling mm-hmm. you get something new every week on a soap opera side it's daily and I think that they take for granted what people do when they are invested, when they spend that much time with these characters. Right. A shame. So I'm going to give everyone a chance to wrap it up by saying the thing that stood out the most to them in 2023 in WWE, whether it was a title run, a match, um, a push, a promo, Main roster specific. So, Miss J to the max, I'll start with you. A lasting memory was when Vince McMahon was finally off the ship and we found out Triple H and Shawn Michaels were at the helm. Uh, another one was when Sasha Banks and Trinity stood up for themselves. It was bittersweet because um, Jupiter Jules, I'm sure you can relate, like Black women, every time we stand up for ourselves at work. It always reflects negatively on us, but it was also like, yes, I'm proud of you girls for walking away from something that wasn't healthy. So, all right, Miss Jupiter Julep, your uh, one or two outstanding moments of 2023 from WWE. I want to cheat for a second and say something about what you were talking about, Miss Jade. It mm-hmm. was the betting on themselves that Trinity and Mercedes did that paid off. That is a highlight for me, even though it doesn't necessarily have to do with WWE. Mm -hmm. Mercedes on a global level. Trinity at Impact, she is a champion. Her going down to AAA and other places and doing mixed tag team matches. You know how I feel about those. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, you did us wrong at the end of last year. We all wanted to know where were they land. Here it is. Now, with Triple H being in charge, I was reading some things. Let me get my momentum on for a second. That said that AEW is no longer actively pursuing Mercedes Monet. Hmm. So does that mean... Is that because they got Ronda? 
Royal Rumble. Oh, 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 hey, no, I think it. I think a lot of it has to do with Triple H. Oh. And in my mind, he's pulling a Dwayne. Please, baby, please don't sign anywhere. Even if you just want to do one match, please don't say I do. Just do the match, you know, and come on home. I I think that that in my mind is is like her her uh, voicemail messages. It's full of that. But having said that, it's like, hey, how's that ankle coming along? You know, we can come rehab anytime. Our door is open. You know what? And I'm sure he's cheating. Like. Like, uh, like he's probably doing the messages with like, let let Bailey be on FaceTime. He's coming to back. Hey girl, hey, you know, just <laughs> you know, just just doing that type of a deal. Um, but having said that, I would say the the most memorable thing is really I'm gonna do something different and say the entrances of WWE. Little Miss Binky coming out of WrestleMania with the Divas of LA. Mm-hmm. And having like true definition of black girl magic with all those babies with the ponytail and everything else. And uh, I almost said something about AEW, but you know, we got Jade and her entrances. <laughs> right. But uh, you know, showing out, but also Bad Bunny in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. Everybody singing. Uh I cackled like a hyena because my wrestler of the year is Dom Mysterio. Him coming out in handcuffs because he is the hardest little muffin there is. I said the only thing that could have made his entrance better is if Martha Stewart drove him out because both of them (laughs) are the same type of hardened criminals. And, you know, why not? And then it's like, what? Snoop Dogg is driving your daddy out? Well, I got Martha Stewart because she understands me. Um, But that type of a deal, I think that Judgment Day and Mommy, in continuation with Dominic Mysterio being the faction of the year and what that has done to all of their careers. Because the last time I was at uh, a WWE house event and Finn Balor was out, the the crowd was lukewarm to him. And I said, your goose is cooked, sir. And you know, like as fine as you are. Mm-mm. You know, I it, it we just went and we're a, I'm from Baltimore. We are a wrestling city. And it was like, yeah, OK. So I, I would say, you know, but looking at his, even he was a demon, was he not at mm-hmm. WrestleMania? So we uh, just those types of, oh, Roman Reigns with the pianos. I really just think that they stepped up the game of um, trying to give us a pageantry. Seth Rollins is the baddest bitch on this planet, and he would dare you to say otherwise. The only thing he needs is like a sassy haircut, and he will be unparalleled. The hair is a little eh. He looks like... um, not a sassy haircut. <laughs> yes, a sassy haircut. He needs a sassy haircut. Just trim them ends. Can you imagine him with a bob? You know how they always like the bobby bob. He would be the Whitney all the time. She not talk to him. He just hair just going to the side side. Like you see this bob. You see this bob. Can you imagine him if he has spirals, curls? Like if somebody really <laughs> like that's what he needs. He needs to get them edges trimmed. Get a good conditioner. And really, he needs to call Cat Williams. Somebody. 
let him be glory. You need a blowout. <laughs> yeah, something like, can you imagine him with a silk press? Like, don't act like you don't see the shine. <laughs> something to match his outfits. But I think that that is also memorable. Uh, you know, with WWE, I really did appreciate their attempts. Oh, and and we as we talking about the entrances, the anime that entrances for Shinsuke Nakamura. Mm-hmm. Love those. So I appreciate that attention to detail, and that is what's standing out to me this year. All right. Motel underscore Reese, same thing, sir. What stood out to you in 2023 for WWE? What stood out for me is how I was able to, you know, still show up to this. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, for me, no, for me, it was definitely. No, it was always talking about creating stars. So now that we have had the bloodline go through that soap opera, we got Jay Uso definitely, you know, showing that he can be a man on his own as he, you know, electrifies the crowd on Monday nights. You know, you got more stars in the making that's coming up the pipe. And, you know, it all depends on how they market it and how they push it. You have you know, a lot more than just the same old, same old. But Jay Uso's evolution into a solo act has definitely been something I've been impressed with in 2023. Um, also, low-hanging fruit here, but might as well say it. CM Punk coming back to the company after he then left and went and did the podcast with Cole Cabana. Say again, caught him phys- physical and mental harm. He went to um, MMA. Then he goes to AEW. We also have Nash the exit. Speculation was like, hey, is he going to come back to WWE? They got to tell the dirt sheets, no, we haven't talked to him. There's no talk with CM Punk happening and nothing like that. And then we saw what happened at the end of Survivor Series. So <laughs> never say never. So those are my two right there. What stood out to me in 2023 in WWE, the rise of the factions. The bloodline on one side, judgment down the other side. The way that they were separate, and then they started kind of interplaying to the point where people were speculating, oh, war games. Are we going to get the bloodline versus judgment? They decided to do something different. But I think it was just a test to see, is this really working? If you remember, factions were the foundation to the Attitude Era. What made Stone Cold Stone Cold was he wasn't grouped up with nobody. Everybody else had a crew, except for him. And so this is kind of the same thing. Hey, everybody seems to be getting paired up with somebody. We got Cody and Kevin and Sammy and Jay Uso. We got the bloodline. We got the, and you know, so it seems like everybody's got somebody to run with. And I think that that really stood out to me as far as like uh, making everybody play off each other and being connected with each other. Second thing that stood out to me this year, the year of Rhea Ripley. I think that she got the title. She probably wasn't ready. They probably saw that, took it away from her. But then they gave her some time, gave it back to her. And she's done everything exceptionally well with this run. Rhea Ripley is very special in that some people think she can beat the guys. They've positioned her that way. Some people is me. 
a lot of people want to see her. Me, me too. <laughs> interact with the guys. We do. They, I've they been do. calling for mixed intergender <laughs> match since the beginning. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they. I still say no. <laughs> they position her that way. But I think the biggest thing is no matter what she's on, where she's at, she is recognized as a star and possibly the second biggest star in all of WWE. And that has been on the work that she's done this year. From the stuff with Dominic and the videos with Ray and all of that stuff through not officially, but officially being the leader of the Judgment Day. First off, like it was like, hey, man, they don't get much involvement if Rhea Ripley ain't around. And then all of a sudden, somebody saw that, too. And they were like, yeah, we got to get her always out there. So I think the elevation of Rhea Ripley is the second thing that stood out in WWE. And then the third one would be what Mo was talking about. Just the generation of new, younger stars. Even people that have been toiling in the mid-card for a long time are now elevated to the main events. They're in the main event uh, periphery, and it's making everything seem fresh. Like right now, I want Sami Zayn to be the World Heavyweight Champion. I just want it. You know what I'm saying? They've done such a good job in this year telling his story always having him involved with the story, his promos, the investment that I have put into Sami Zayn throughout 2023 has gotten me like, I want to see him win the belt in 2024. So I think, and you can go down the line through the roster uh, with different people like that. And so I think that's one of the things that really stands out, just how they've built a lot of connections and a lot of um, just crowd support behind a lot of different wrestlers. I mean, there's people out here who want Cody to be a champion. There's people out here who want LA Knight to be the champion. There's people who want Jey Uso to be the champion. You know, so, you know, there's a whole lot of different fan bases and brooding interests that, you know, we haven't had in wrestling in a very, very long time for to get behind, people to get behind. So I, I was really impressed with how they built that throughout this year. All right. At this time, wait, wait, wait! I have one yes. question to all of you, you all. Yes. If Santa could bring you each one thing for Christmas in terms of WWE, like you know what would make my 2023 complete if this happened? What would it be? For them to have a legitimate and strong women's tag team division, something that is exciting, something where, like Mo said, people aren't going to get up and go to the bathroom. Like, I think the women's tag team division has so much potential. Um, And I'm sure Triple H is getting there, but I I just want to, I would love for it to just really flourish in 2024. Any two people in particular that we we should keep an eye on? I think I would love to see a rivalry between Little Team Sunshine and and the Witches. I think that would be, that, that would just, rock my world <laughs> their personalities their character personalities are so polar opposite yeah styles make fights mm-hmm. uh, if it was up to me and Santa came down and brought me something that could go throughout WWE uh, all the champions would wear their belts around their waist nobody would carry it nobody would drag it nobody would throw it around. that has been a thorn in your side forever 
Yeah, it looks so awesome. Like Rhea Ripley had it on when she came out there to talk to Randy Orton. Oh, it looks so awesome. I was too busy admiring her coat because I was like, that coat. <laughs> with, that, with that belt, it was. I was like, okay, Rhea, okay. Yeah, it looks so awesome, and it makes it. I just think that again, it makes the championship seem valuable when the guys just throw them over their shoulders and toss them around. You know, they don't have. It, to me, it seems like they don't carry them with enough prestige and, and honor. And when you wear them around your waist. I think that's what every champion should do. So that's that's the thing that I would want to come down from WWE for for Santa to to bring WWE. Okay, Mo, your uh, your wish. This be more fair to everyone. You know, I understand that certain individuals they are the the top du jour, they the, the the top dogs and everything. But just be fair to everyone. Just like give folks a fair shot. You know, just be like, okay, you know, we're going to give this person an opportunity to wrestle for the title, you know. Yeah, they might not win, but we will let them put on a good match and go from there. You know, and stop wasting, stop wasting talent, you know. You got, like you said, like we've been saying forever, bring up some of your people from NXT, give them some, give them the rub. That's what, they, I mean, that's what they're doing. They're giving people the rub now from NXT on TV. So just do more of that. So that we can have more people ready for prime time. All right. Miss Jupiter Jula, what's your answer? I would love for um my kids to let me watch wrestling more. <laughs> they are haters. I could turn it on and they'll come and take the remote and set it down like they were Michael Jackson, turn it down the gun. You just saw that gif. Like, no, just put it down. Um no, in all seriousness, I mean they they don't let me watch it as much as I would like to. Um, But I would say continuing on um, what you were saying, Mo, I have two. Uh, I want the gimmicks to be better. That out the mud drives me crazy. They got somebody else, I think, that, you know, for the breakout stars. I think that there was a a black guy that is an African prince or something. And I'm like, this is not Zamunda. I do not want this. I want them not to fall back into stereotypes and characters at all. I do not want that. I, I think they need to be careful not to do that. And the other thing is, this is something that I requested earlier. I know we're supposed to be doing main roster, but I said that I wanted to have a barbershop set on NXT, not just because I want Trick to kick Carmella through it. I mean, I do, but that's not why. <laughs> I want it because as the stars from the main roster were going down to NXT, I just thought they should have another element instead of just like backstage. Right. They were having conversations, kicking it in in the barbershop. And I just would have loved to have seen like some of the people come down and talk to them or mentor them or encourage the younger talent from the main roster. And instead of it just being backstage, almost like, yeah, I'm in a barbershop with my people together, like creating community. So you having other opportunities to see people in other ways instead of it just being like a competition or them saying I'm coming down here because you children have been naughty or you don't y'all not ready for this but no just coming down like oh it's good to see you mellow 
It's good to see you. Uh, you know, Trick, it's good to see you, Zion Lee, because he is fine. Um, he's got no personality mm-hmm. at all, but he's fine. So he could just stand there and be quiet. He ain't got to that, say nothing. That's why I want him in a barbershop. Just sit in the chair and be pretty. So <laughs> it's something along those lines. I, I I want them to have like sets or places because we do have the judgment day and that's also like a standout i forgot our truth is back so they are uh the judgment day does have a dressing room allegedly and of course the <laughs> tribal chief has a you know like the blood right they have yeah, something clearly they're a motorcycle gang now so nah, you know you know (laughs) we know how filthy they can be but (laughs) what i'm trying to say is like if they had other sets like i do remember wwf they used to have like uh uh, the barbershop set yeah if they could do something like that without it saying oh we're in a ring and everybody's got a talk show and we got the same chairs and the same plant maybe something else that could give them a a good place to be and especially because uh, I do like some of the shots the camera shots where people are talking but if you look in the background you see these other two other people talking but they're in the dark and you know kind of seeing it but I just think that if they had more like of a community space where people can gather instead of them just gathering around a monitor it looks weird like okay New Day and other people why are we not seeing them playing the video games we all know they do they don't got a video game lounge something mm. so, so that's what Santa no, can really the judgment play. day took it over so <laughs> that's what they that's what it did well that's why and that's why our truth decorated it for him uh, but either <laughs> way, tried, to kick, tried to kick JD out the group too he was right. He spoke for us all. Because <laughs> JD really is like, why is he hating? His name ain't even on the shirt. Why, <laughs> why did JD? I wouldn't buy it. I'd have been like, boo. It's like I didn't want to buy the Bloodline shirt because Paul Heyman was in it. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, mm. <laughs> I'm just saying. Wait, but what's, with the, what, what's with the Carmelo hate? Why you don't, why you don't like him? Don't tell her why I'm right. And in, in my assessment of Carmelo Hayes, uh, this is a topic for the NXT show. But um, basically, you know what, what she said, let's leave it there. Let's leave it for the tease. No, if you want to yes. know, <laughs> yeah. join the Patreon. Yeah, yes. we'll talk offline in a second. Or you can join the Patreon because it is there mm-hmm. where Dawn said the magic words of "You are right." How'd that taste in your mouth, Don? How'd that taste in your mouth? A little sour. I probably need some chaser. To go with <laughs> Put it in your mouth. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm stop. I'm but this has been a lot of fun, as always, uh, especially uh, reconnecting with Jupiter Julep, the nemesis. We've had our year-long battle back and forth and it's going to culminate in a couple of weeks when we do talk about NXT and AEW. <laughs> but Miss Jade's the Max and Mr. Moses underscore Reese each and every week and each and every at least month. Um, coming up and reviewing and doing these uh, podcasts, I definitely needed to get y'all's insight on the year in review and uh, glad that everybody could make it and I hope that everybody enjoys this content. So, 
Thank you to Miss Jupiter Julep for her brainchild, and thank you to Mo and Jay for their time being able to uh, uh, spend a few hours going over a busy year in WWE. So at this point, I'm going to turn it over to Mo to the underscore Reese to start us off with a shout-out and thank yous. Well, shout-out to the panel for doing a damn thing on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, shout-out to Miss Semi. Shout-out to Mademoiselle, Miss V. Uh, shout out to Queen Mal Mindy and Wall Starwin. Happy birthday once again. Um, Black Marvel. He's not even Black Marvel no more. He's Black Crusader something. Um, <laughs> Black Holland. Everybody else is down with us. Um, you know, just hope you enjoyed the episode. I had a lot of fun talking about our WWE recap for 2023. All right, Miss J to the Max. Shout outs and well wishes. Happy all the holidays to everyone who celebrates any holiday that's happening between now and the next time we get on this podcast. And shout out to Don and Mo and Jupiter Julep and Miss Simi and Sam and Didi. And I know I'm forgetting some people because I always do, but it's always great to join you all um, when, you know, they call me into work and, um, you know, your tribal chief dis has had a great year with you all. So let's keep it up in 2024. All right, Miss Jupiter Jew. Firstly, after God, um, and not to give your ego any more of a boost for being that high up, but Don, my nemesis, uh, when I pitched this idea to him, I said, you know what? There is so much that has gone on in wrestling in 2023 that I don't think that you or I could fitted in two hours or more so what if we just did a series of events and we split the work and he said okay so i mean it wasn't an enthusiastic yes but he he said okay and so and here we are so i say thank you for saying yes and thank you mo and jade for coming on and kicking this off with us and of course, the ladies of the Forever Young podcast, um, I was in the parking lot alone and they tried to threaten me with a chair. So I look very forward to me having backup and seeing what happens next. Also, everybody who listens to us, my podcast partner, Lady D, who is not a wrestling fan, but tolerates my wrestling rants. Thank you so much. And to everybody else who is listening, happy holidays, be safe, be blessed. And I wish you a very happy and prosperous 2024. So to the next time. Well, thank you, everybody, all of the wrestling fans, all the fans of the WrestleCast, everybody who interacted with us in this past year, 2023. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you to everybody who gave their time as a co-host or as a guest um as a you know member of the CSPN you're all the part of the family so I appreciate each and every person uh, on this call and hope that everybody has a very prosperous new year very merry christmas um happy holidays and all that good stuff and that you know wrestling continues to provide us a lot of good gifts and a lot of good rewards and a lot of uh, satisfaction in 2024 so that's what I'm wishing for and looking forward to for next year and until then, when we come back talking about AEW and NXT for Miss Jupiter Judah, Mo to the underscore Reese, Miss J to the Max, I'm Don DeLorente, and we bid you an adieu.
Bye. Smackdown General Manager Nick Aldis. Leave us. Yes, my tribal chief. How do you know I wouldn't tell you? All due respect. I'm not sure I'd care if you were. Very good. You booked the triple threat match? I did. And you booked Solo versus AJ? I did. Those are pretty good ideas. Even better idea? If you ran it all by me first. You see, I'm the tribal chief. The head of the table. Everything goes through me. And I need you to understand that. Adam Pierce understood that. I know you're just trying to hurt my feelings. But Roman, you seem to have forgotten that I'm an executive. I don't have feelings. But while we're on the subject of Adam, he's more of a middle management type. I'm the general manager. The buck stops with me. I'm the sharp end of the stick on SmackDown now. And speaking of Solo, he's a big boy. I mean, he took care of John Cena. He took care of John Cena in a way that I don't even recall you taking care of John Cena. So I'm looking forward to seeing Solo Sokoa take on the phenomenal AJ Styles. Just like I'm so looking forward to that triple threat match. And I'm absolutely looking forward to the winner of that match facing you at the Royal Rumble for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. But I appreciate the invitation. I look forward to more productive dialogue. I really hope we can get to know each other better. 